Welcome to the Soma Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope what you hear fills your heart with hope and purpose. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends. Here's today's message. I love this scene in the movie The Matrix where Neo is meeting Morpheus. Maybe you remember this scene. Uh, more, like Lawrence Fishburne has never been so cool. Um, and he's meeting with, with Neo for the, for the first time, I think, and he there presents him with an option. Um, he says, before he presents him with the option, he says this. He says, do you feel like there's a thorn in your mind, like there's something wrong with the world, and you just can't quite place your finger on it, but you were born and you were raised with this understanding that there's something not quite right with the world? And he agrees to that. And he says, well, then... I want to encourage you to know the truth. And he says, well, what's the truth? That you're a slave, Neo, that you were born a slave, and that you will continue to remain a slave, and you will never know the truth, and you will be blinded to the truth, and you will go through your life without knowing it, and you will miss it, unless today you take this pill. So you can take this blue pill, and you can go back to life as usual, or you can take this red pill, and you can awaken to who you're truly supposed to be and what this world truly is all about. You can awaken to the truth, and you can see just how far the rabbit hole goes. It's a really cool scene. I love that movie. But the idea is that he can just live a normal life, or he can truly see what he was meant to be. And so today, in like fashion, I want to tell you that the message that I have to, to give to you here this morning, if you are going to choose the red pill of faith in Jesus and following Jesus, you will need to hear, to listen, and then to apply the message that I want to share with you this morning. You will need to take hold of the truths that are present in this message if you truly decide to see how far the rabbit hole goes. Now, some of you this morning, you may not even be Christians, and you may think to yourself, well, I'm not sure if, a, if that's what I want to decide to believe in, and that's what I want to follow with all of my life. Um, I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but at least I want to tell you that the message that I have to give to you here this morning, not only do I feel is a mandate from heaven for our church and for every single person that just so happens to be here this morning, but I also believe that it is essential if you're going to truly live the life that God wants you to live. So let's read Nehemiah 4, verses 6 through 10, and you'll kind of see where we're going here this morning. And if you remember, Nehemiah has just left um, the foreign land where he had lived most of his life, and he desired to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city. Um, and then that was our first message about figuring out what God has called you to do and then having a burden for that thing. Our second message was about rising up and building together. So Nehemiah has gone back to the city and he's raised up a team of people to help him build the city back to its former glory. And now we find Nehemiah has begun the work of rebuilding the city walls um, in Jerusalem. And so he is now doing so, and this is what happens, and this is where we find him here today. 
So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So they've been building now, and they've gotten about halfway of the wall built. For the people had a mind to work. Oh, for people who have a mind to work and to do something for Jesus before their life is over. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Now, don't you just love that? You can't give yourself enough money in the world to pay for how amazing it is to have people, when you're trying to do a good thing, get angry at you for it. But that's exactly what happened to them. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. So they're building this wall up. Some enemies happen to see it, and they say, we're going to go in and we're going to attack them, and we're going to create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. There's so much rubbish. And I just love that word, not only because it sounds like somebody from England, oh, that's rubbish, uh, but um, because you probably never said that word, but, but maybe you can relate to this idea. They're in the middle of building the wall and as they're trying to do so, enemies come and begin to bother them to the point where they think they can be attacked at any moment. And Judah comes to him and says, there's so much rubbish going on that we cannot continue to build. Do you ever felt like that in your life? That there's so much going wrong that you can't see anything going right. What I want to talk to you about here this morning is that opposition is an opportunity. Opposition is an opportunity And I'm going to tell you kind of what that means, but I want us to get to the frame of reference where we become so sold out to God and building his kingdom that opposition doesn't stop us, guys. That opposition becomes an opportunity to see God do something amazing. Opposition is a part of life. You know, there's, there's maybe few things like this in this world that I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, it's still true. And one of those things is this, is that opposition is a reality of life. You're either right now in the middle of opposition, you're about to go into opposition, or you just came out of opposition. It's undoubted that every single one of us in this life will face opposition. And I'll go as far as to even say this. If you are ever going to do anything meaningful for your, with your life, if you're ever going to risk doing something exciting, something daring, something risky, if you're ever going to build something and make a difference for the kingdom of God, you know what's going to happen? Opposition's going to come. And it'll come in a couple of different ways. It'll come in discouragement. It'll come in disappointment. It'll come in lack of excitement. It'll come from the outside. It'll come from the inside. It may come from people who who doubt you, naysayers, people who say they're your friends but really not your friends, who want to try to counsel you but are not giving you good counsel. It can come in a bunch of different ways, but there are things in life that sideline us all the time. And we have to make a decision today. Will we let it? Will we let opposition keep us from what God has in store for us? Let me give you the reality of this kind of in a physical law so you know opposition is just a reality of life as much as the reality of gravity is a reality of life. 
Um, there's this law called the law of inertia. And it's the idea that you can push something, maybe a ball against this ground or something like that, and um, if unmessed with, that that ball will keep on rolling because the law of inertia states this, that objects in motion like to stay in motion. Once that energy is placed upon that thing, it likes to keep on going and going and going and going because you guys probably know this maybe. If you ever saw Mr. Wizard, and if you don't know who Mr. Wizard is, there's a generation of kids, and it's not right, who are growing up and they don't know who Mr. Wizard is. That's what's wrong with our generation. So anyway, if you ever saw Mr. Wizard, you know that energy is eternal, that it, doesn't, that it, that it can dissipate, but that it, that it still exists. Um, and so the energy placed on an object wants to move that object continually, except this. Why doesn't the ball keep rolling? Because there are forces that operate against that ball or whatever it is called the law of gravity and the law of friction. See, I'm rolling it against this floor, but there's things that are keeping it from going forward. Um, the little divots in the ground and just the, the surface that it's rolling on, all of those things are pushing against that object to keep it from continuously rolling. And then there's the law of gravity that's constantly putting pressure on us. That's why we're not floating. Um, constantly putting pressure on us and puts pressure on that object so that it doesn't continue to move. Come on. I don't know if anybody's going with me with this right there. But, but listen, there are forces that are working against you right now, whether you know it or not, to keep you from being who God has called you to be. You know, there's a culture that's speaking things that are contrary to the word of God, that are convincing you of things that are not so. And, and whether you believe it or not, there is a devil that is opposing you, that is keeping you from being the person that God wants you to be. And you may even say to yourself this morning, I don't even know if there is a devil. I'm not even sure I believe in the devil. Well, I just want to tell you, he's good at his job because that's one of his jobs, to make you think that he doesn't exist so that you just go on through your life and not understand what God really truly wants you to do and who he wants you to be and what he wants you to do for him. I know this if I know anything, guys, that the gospel message is not just that you've been forgiven. The gospel message is that you've been made new, that you are born again, that you are different, that something changed the day that Jesus came into your heart. Just as much as if you came into this place today and you said, read, 75 miles an hour semi hit me, man. And I look at you and I'm saying, that is not true because you look okay. Like there is going to be a difference in you when the semi hits. There's gonna be a difference in you when Jesus comes into your life. And this is one of the differences that he will make in your life. He will give you the ability to face off against opposition. He will put something stronger in you that's stronger than any of the forces outside of you so that you can stand in the midst of whatever storm you are facing in this life. Now, nobody's saying amen, but that was a good place. Good amen, Pastor Reed. It's okay, I'll amen myself if I have to. Listen, that's what the word of God says. It says that the storms are going to rage against every single house in this world. And the house is you in this case. The storms are coming for every house, Christian, non-Christian. The only question is, is did you get it when you really got Jesus? Or did you get a Sunday morning that was just convenient for an hour or so? And I promise you, it's not going to be much longer than that. So some of you are thinking that. Now listen, he says, the storms are coming against every house. The question is, is, did you build your house really on the word of God? When the opposition comes, you'll stand. If you did, if you didn't, your house is going to fall. It's a reality of life. For any of us who think 
that we don't have to face this. Perhaps there's any element, any streak of pride in us that thinks, oh, well, opposition, I don't have to face. It will happen eventually. And I want to make sure that every single person here has the strength and the ability and, and is stronger on the inside than any of the opposing forces on the outside so that you can stand when the storms come. Because they come, and they will come. So here's what you do when opposition comes. And here's how you know that Jesus has totally touched your life. Shift into opposition. Shift into opposition. Now, if you've got small kids, you're thinking like I'm thinking. You can't go under it, can't go around it, can't go over it. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Going on a line. Maybe nobody else thought that, and I'm just nuts. Fine, whatever. But that's what I thought when I, heard, when I thought of this. Shift into opposition. Listen, you're going to face opposition in this life. I hope we've established that at least that much. And here's my encouragement to you. Instead of going around, of it, around it, instead of wondering, why is this happening, God? I want to encourage you to do the bold thing, which is to shift into opposition. Instead of down shifting and instead of backing up, instead of thinking it's strange that you're going through difficulty, can I encourage you to shift into the opposition. I once had a mentor, and I love him to death. But, but this is what he said. If you're facing opposition, then it's not the will of God. Now, come on, guys. What happened to Paul? Like at the final state, got his head cut off. That's what I would define as opposition. Probably the will of God, the, the reason he died, too. All right, so because he was preaching the gospel, I mean. What happened to Peter? Peter was crucified, we think, upside down because he was preaching the gospel. So, so listen, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to say, let's just make our life harder, but I am trying to say this, that if you're truly gonna follow Jesus, there's going to be moments where you face off with, with opposition, where you become an enemy of the number one enemy to all Christians, and you're gonna face opposition. And I wanna encourage you to shift into that opposition, to know the opposite of what my mentor told me, that perhaps... If you're facing opposition, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. You're right where God wants you to be, right smack dab in the center of his will. And in fact, if you keep on going, you'll see blessings like you never thought possible. You'll see God move like you never thought possible. And you're closer to it than you thought possible. But if you stop, you won't. So here's where we get this from. Let's go back to Nehemiah. He's building, he's being opposed, and then this is what he says when the opposition comes. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Oh, for a people who would say, when opposition comes, that's going to make me fight all the more hard. I'm going to go after this thing with a vengeance. I'm not going to stop short. So this is what I mean when I say shift into opposition. This is what I mean, that, that opposition is God's process for producing potential. Come on, if you're taking notes, I want you to take notes right there. That opposition is God's process for producing potential. That God brings opposition into your life because he's trying to get something out of you. Now, some of you may be wondering to yourself, well, Reed, we're talking about opposition as though it's a really good thing. But what about the person who's got a sick child? What about the person who is really not doing well themselves? What about the person who is depressed to the point of suicide? 
And you're saying, well, this is what God's will is. No, I'm not necessarily saying God's will is for you to have depression. But what I am saying is, is that if you take the opportunity to let your opposition produce potential in you, that God uses opposition to do so. Now, here it is in John chapter 12. I'm going to show you this biblically so you don't think it's just me coming up with a lot of P words like good preachers do. God produces potential through opposition. But it's true. This is what it says. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So these guys say, We want to see Jesus. And this is what Philip says, or Philip does. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now let's stop right there, real quick. So they say, We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. All right? And, and then Jesus. Like the Jesus, like the way he does things, the Jesus way of doing things. This is what he says. Because uh, Philip goes to Jesus, he's like, hey, these dudes want to see you. And then Jesus responds to them, not like a normal person should. Oh, okay, yes, or no, I'm too busy. No, this is what he does. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man must be glorified. And about this time, Philip's thinking, okay, now this is what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. All right. Oh, okay. So that's the last one. All right. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it dies, it remains alone, and it produces much grain. So is that not strange to anybody else? Jesus, these guys want to see you. And Jesus responds, um, except a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not live. What? What does that have to do with what we just asked Jesus? Jesus was a master at answering the real question and not the one that was actually asked. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. I want to try to communicate this as best I can. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you really want to see him? you really want to know him? That's what these guys are asking Philip and Andrew. When Philip goes and he relays the message to Jesus, do you really want to see Jesus? I mean, like, see him for who he is. Really understand him. Really get to know him in a deep, deep way. Do you want to? This is how you do it. Except a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So Jesus is saying this about himself because he's about to go to the cross and die, but he's also saying this about the people who want to see him because I think the very next verse, perhaps, he'll say um, that, that if you want to know me, you must follow me, something to that effect. But here's the idea. In the same way that the seed of a wheat is germinated into the soil is the same way that you're going to see and know Jesus more, and Jesus is going to help you grow is that there's got to be a death that takes place. Not a physical death, but a dying of self, where the old self passes away. Your old way of thinking passes away. Your old way of doing things passes away. That's why we as Christians cannot make, maintain the claim, well, I'm a Christian, and so I'm going to heaven one day. No, to be a Christian truly means that there's something changing about you constantly. To get stuck in your ways is one of the most unchristian things you can do. There's a constant dying to self if you're truly a Christian. And he's saying this, that just in the same way 
that a kernel of wheat will, will shed its outer shell to instead um, plant into the ground and then finally grow up out of the ground. Will, that outer kernel will fall to the ground and then it will die in a sense. What, it mean, what he means is that it will actually split and come off and then what's inside of that seed will grow up from the ground. So there's this dying so that you can grow. There's this dying so that you can grow. Now, nobody's amening that, and I don't blame you because that doesn't feel good. But it is the way that God is going to grow you, is if you're willing to allow God to take you through seasons of your life that are painful, that are difficult, and that are even hard. He'll take you to the place where it, where it stings your flesh. And what I mean by that, where it's so difficult, you're not sure that you can do it. And do you know why he wants to take you to that place? So that it will not be you who does it. But you'll see God move. I'll put it to you this way. That God wants you to the place where he, you can't get the credit for what happens. Because when you get to that place, you'll find real true worship. You'll find real true miracles and you'll see that you can't take any of the credit for it so you give all the credit back to God because there's no way that you could have done it because you got to the end of yourself. You weren't strong enough to do it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't your ability that got you there. It wasn't your articulation and your eloquence and your good looks that got you there. It was just God. That's why he wants you to shift into opposition. He wants you to shift into opposition because through it, He's going to put you through a process of dying to yourself so that what's truly inside of you can truly come out. Come on, is there anybody who believes that there's more in them than what they're seeing right now? That there's more to you than what people see. There's more to you than what you're doing right now. There maybe even is more to you than the job that you presently maintain. That God's got something bigger and better for you. And through the process of opposition, he's going to get it out of you. Now, I know, listen, you may be going through a really dark period of your life right now, and that may not be very encouraging. And I, and I want to make just this very clear, that, that my intention necessarily this morning isn't to try to give you encouragement where you're, when you go through difficult times. I hope that that's true. I hope you do find encouragement through some of this to know that when you go through difficult times. But I'm not going to pretend that if you're going through some of the darkest days of your life, that I can just make it better. But I can tell you this, that understanding some of this stuff may not change it, may not change the way you feel, but it will make it okay. It will make it okay. So there's this principle, and I, I want you to put up, not the Galatians 6, but I want you to put up that saying, Sam, um, that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I want some of us to get this because when, when you face pain, You'll quit too soon if you're not careful. You'll, you'll go in the opposite direction. You won't shift into opposition, and you'll, and you'll miss what God has in store for you. So listen, I'm just going to just say real honestly, like it's easy to start something, but I don't believe that the glory and the goodness of God is necessarily in the way you start as much as in the way you finish. And I'll just be honest with you. There's some guys who start churches that are huge from day one. And they start with a big fanfare, a big, huge church, day one when they, when they launch their church. But I'm not as interested in day one as much as I am day 3,056. That's just a random number, by the way. 
I'm, I'm not interested in just how people start. I'm interested in how people finish because it's, it's in the process of the marathon that God is going to, to show you things and do things in you, and it's, that's where the real work truly begins. So when I say life is not a sprint, it's a marathon, this is what I mean, is that it's really easy to run the sprint, right? You're just 200 meters, boom, and you're done. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is probably run a marathon because marathons make you want to quit. Sprints don't. Sprints hurt probably for a little bit, but then it's over. Marathons, they make you want to stop before you get to the finish line, don't they? But can I tell you something about marathons that you don't get with sprints? You don't get second wins with sprints because you don't need them. You don't need second wins with sprints, but you do with marathons. And if you don't know what the second wind is, it's this, it's this um, what most people believe is in your brain and in your ner- central nervous system, your, your brain is kicking in endorphins that help you do what normally was not physically possible. So second wind is preceded by extreme exhaustion, weakness of muscle, the inability to take in enough oxygen to keep on pressing in and keep on running the marathon that you're in. So you face that and you experience that right before your second wind kicks in. And then your second wind kicks in and then all of a sudden you've gained enough breath and you've gained enough strength to keep on running as though you weren't tired like you were before. Does anybody here in this place need a second wind? If you want to get a second wind, don't stop. And when you don't stop and you do get a second wind, that is when you, you, you surprise yourself and you see things that you didn't know you were capable of doing. That's the only way in a marathon that you get to the finish line is if you keep on pressing in and you tell your, your mind tells your body that you're capable of doing more than what your body is telling yourself right now. Boy, I don't know about you, but I want to see that in this church. I want to see that in my life. I want to see God do more than I thought possible. You know the way you do it? Is don't quit. Don't stop. Just when things get hard. You know, there may be even somebody here in this place today, let's give some context to this thing, who's struggling in their marriage. And you're thinking to yourself, I'll just quit, and I'll find me a new man, and then I won't have to put up with this. It was this woman that was speaking to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I'm going to leave my husband. He's way, we need, we need to talk about this. That's, that's not the will of God. And she said, no, Pastor, I've got Bible for this. I've, got, I've read the Word of God, and the, and the Bible told me to leave my husband. And the pastor said, well, I would love to hear this because I'm pretty sure that's not true. And she said, no, it's, it's, it's true. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it. And, and, and this scripture verse right here in Galatians, it says to take off the old man and to put on the new man, so I'm going to get me a new man. It's preacher jokes if you didn't like that. Oh, but the point is, is that if you want to see a healthy marriage, those of you who are married know this. The healthiest marriages are not sprints. The healthiest marriages are marathons. You know child rearing is like this. It's a marathon. There are days you get it and there are days you don't. There are days you're happy and then there's days you're disappointed with the way that you parented. But it's a marathon. You don't stop. You don't quit. Because at the end of the road, the promise is greater than what we see presently. So you've got a little bit of sweat in your eyes and it's stinging. So your muscles are aching. So you feel like you're out of breath and you're not sure if you can keep on going. You're starting to get discouraged. You don't have the excitement that you once had when you first started. Keep on going because the finish line is yet ahead.
and your second wind is coming in Jesus' name. Let me read this Galatians 6, 9 to you because it's a super, super powerful verse. For those of you who are on the serve team here at Soma Church, you need, to, you need to receive this, and this needs to be your church planting verse in the name of Jesus. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Come on, would you commit that to memory? Especially some of you serve teamers, when you get up early in the morning, you come here to push a cart, you come here to sweat, and you're thinking to yourself, boy, it would be so much easier just to sleep in for a couple of hours. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Even if you have to get to the place where you excite yourself, and there's nothing else outwardly that's exciting you, get to the place where you become spiritually mature enough to not grow weary in well-doing. Because of this, there's a promise on the other end of your faith if you keep on pressing through. And don't let the opposition keep you from seeing what God truly wants to do in your life. And so you may say, well, Reed, that's all fine and good, that's well, but, but how do I do that? How do I push into opposition? How do I push in when things are really getting hard? And Nehemiah is gonna tell us how to do it. So I don't wanna just tell you to do it, I wanna tell you how to do it. So this is what it says in Nehemiah. And this is uh, 414. He said, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders. Now he's already told them to fight to not back down, to keep on building. And he said, and look, I looked in a rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So he says this, remember the Lord. If you're ever gonna get the strength that you need to keep on pressing when things get difficult and to keep on moving forward when things get difficult, is you're gonna have to remember. You're gonna have to remember some things. The first thing you need to remember is this, is you need to remember that it's all about him, that it's all about him. I love this story. A um, woman comes to Jesus, and she needs healing for her child, and, and Jesus gives her, now this is super controversial, but this is what happens, gives her basically the equivalent of an uh, ancient racial slur. He says, I do not give bread to dogs, so he's calling the woman a dog, Right, I, I, like he says, I do not give that which is for the children of Israel to dogs. And so a dog back then was a racial slur because he's calling her a non-Jew, somebody who's not a Jew. She's a Gentile woman. She's not a Jew, and so he calls her a dog. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe this is just my wife. But if I called my wife a dog, y'all never see me again. You might have a very sweet, passive wife, but try that one time. You're not doing it. <laughs> he calls her a dog. And all she wants is healing from this nice, kind Jesus. Why do this? She sends, says back in response to him, he says this, but yeah, and, and Jesus loves this response. She says, yeah, but even the dog's eat the breadcrumbs that fall underneath the table. And Jesus stops right there in his tracks and he turns to the woman and she says, and he says, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Why? Because she was not willing to let opposition stop her 
and a personal offense stop her from moving forward. I can't tell you how many people I've met in church that say, well, I don't go to church anymore, um, uh, or I used to go to church because somebody offended me or somebody hurt my feelings or anything like that. This woman is called basically a racial slur by Jesus and then says, yeah, but just give me some crumbs because even a dog would eat some crumbs and that's all I need from you, Jesus. See, she doesn't let a personal offense get in the way of getting what, what she wants to see from God. She remembers there at that moment that it's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about him. See, it's not about your feelings. It's not about how encouraged you are at the moment. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, and, and, and this is the last toe-stepping I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I promise I won't do it ever again. For those of you who are Christians, can I just tell you, it may not be about whether or not you like the message that morning. may not be about whether or not you like the volume of the music that morning. It may not be like kind of this idea that some Christians have when they come into church. Bless me if you can. We'll see if that music is good enough, and then I'll lift my hands. That's the face that they give. Um, what if it's not about you in any of those things, but it's really all about Jesus? And if he calls you to step into opposition, you go. If he calls you to face difficulty, you go, because your life is held captive to the will of God. It's not about us. You know, I thought about um, starting a Christian conference, and it would be dedicated to prayer and fasting. Um, so instead of like the normal thing, how to get butts in seats and how to get more money for your church, that, which is what most conferences are about, I just thought, you know, I'm going to do a conference about prayer and fasting. And then I thought to myself, yes, but I actually would like people to go to it, so I'm not going to do that. Sometimes don't make it about him. Um, and I wonder why there aren't many conferences like that. You know why I think? Because Christianity used to be people who would stare lions in the face. Christianity used to be people who would step out on the field with giants. Christianity used to be men and women who would travel in ships and get shipwrecked and beaten and, and accused and stoned and then would still follow Jesus, would get imprisoned and would say, these chains are for the sake of the gospel. That used to be what Christianity is, and now Christianity is more like, yeah, but my Netflix show is on. And it's really good. But, but, so let me just save you, save you some time anyway. Uh, you're just going to get show hole as soon as it's done. And you're just going to be like, what do I watch now? I'm just so lost. But no, we, li we live in a generation where it used to be, God, what do you want me to do? And now we live in a generation where, God, we better get out on time. And, and I believe that, that God wants to stir us to the place where we totally change our understanding of what church is really all about. You say, well, you're being too passionate. Well, I have been accused of worse. B. Remember it's all about him, but also remember the word of God. Remember the word of God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you love that scripture verse, and you have no idea the context of the scripture verse. Here's Jeremiah 20, 11. For I know the thoughts I have that I think to you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. Some of you love this scripture verse, but you don't know that this was told to Jeremiah while he was sitting in prison. I know the thoughts I have for you, to give you a hope and a future. See, when you're in prison, whatever that prison looks like, you're going to have to remember the word of God and what God spoke to you. And you're going to have to call upon the word of God because no matter how dark that prison gets, the word of God will shine brighter. You're going to have to remind yourself of the word of God in times like that. 
Uh, and let's do the final one. So not only remember it's about him, but also remember uh, the word of God, but also remember what he's done for you in the past. You might be going through one of the darkest moments of your days, but if you're like me, you have the benefit of hindsight. I didn't live my life for Christ. I got saved at 19 years old, and I look back on my life and some of the stupid things I did that could have killed me or killed other people and even did cause bodily injury to me. And I look back on those times, and I'm not proud of those times, but I think to myself, but there's something in me that I'm, that I'm glad about those times because God took me through, and God had a plan for my life while I was going through those times, and he rescued me. And, and you even look back on your life while you're a Christian, and you think to yourself, I went through that season, and, and, and I didn't like it, but I wouldn't change it for the world because of what God did in me in those times. You'll need to remind yourself of what God has done in the past when you really see opposition in your life. The last thing I want to share with you um, is just a scripture verse from James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And, and I hope this sinks in because here's the conclusion of the message. Here's the sum total of it all. If you get endurance and push through opposition, you'll receive everything that you need to follow Jesus. Here's what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when, you, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's like, oh yeah, thanks for that, James. Consider it great joy when this happens. That's what it says. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I gotta take just a moment. Let me actually let me show you 12 because it will kind of reiterate this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As we close out here this morning, this is what I want to share with you. That if you get endurance, if you get the ability to push through whatever opposition you may be facing right now in your life, if you get past that kind of new jitters of, like, you know, you know this. Like, when you first started that job, you were excited about that job. But a year in, you're just like, oh, God, alarm clock, right? If you can regain the joy of your first love of following Jesus, this is what will happen. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. See, the question is only this. Not will God be faithful. Not will God bless you. Not will God do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask or think according to the power that works in you. That's never the question. The question is this. Is will you keep going? Or will you stop short of the blessing? Will you patiently endure? And will you keep on working? Will you keep on fighting? Will you not stop just because a little bit of time and a little bit of difficulty has come in your way? But will you push through the pressure, face off with the opposition, and keep on building? Because when you look back, you'll see that God was faithful. God was true to his word. And the only question that needed to be answered is are you going to keep on going? Are you going to keep on trusting? Are you going to keep on believing him? Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, please check out our channel for past episodes. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. For more info about Soma Church, please go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you in person.